0: Pastor Richard Rohr has a theory that all of us are addicted to something. All of us are addicted to something, maybe some of us more than one thing. And and these addictions that we have are kind of wrecking our lives. It prevents us from living life to the full. For some of us, we're addicted to alcohol. Some are addicted to drugs, some are addicted to pornography, some are addicted to work. Some of us are addicted to gossip or negative thinking about our lives. And all of us ultimately underneath all of that are addicted to sin, that we miss the mark of the people that God created us to be. And ultimately we're kind of all addicted to our own pride and our own ego and our way of thinking rather than God's way of thinking. And so during this season of Lent, which is a great time to think about our relationship with God and how it is with our soul, Uh, Pastor uh, Rohr has just given us a lot to think about. Basically he says that we're all in a culture that's drowning in addictions and that we need to learn how to breathe underwater, how we can face these addictions and and ask God to help us be rid of them. And so uh, Pastor Rohr talks about how the 12 step program that helps people who are addicted to alcohol become sober and defeat their addiction are, are there 12 principles that are actually in the Bible and that those principles, if we look at them in our own lives from the Bible's perspective, can help us battle the addictions that each of us face, right? For some of us, it's alcohol, but for others, of us, it's something else. And so today, maybe to ask you the question, what are you wrestling with? What is something that you are addicted to that just keeps coming up in your life that's preventing you from living life to the full? and how can we let go of that? So we've been looking at that over the past uh, couple of weeks. And so just wanna catch you up about these first steps that we've talked about. One, we have to admit that we're powerless over our addiction, right? Alcohol, gossip, negative thinking, right? We admitted we're powerless over this addiction and that our lives have become unmanageable, right? Then we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. We can't save ourselves Something bigger than us has to do that. And we believe that is Jesus. Then we made a decision to turn our will, what we wanna do and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. And we talked about we understand God as being a merciful God so that we can trust God with everything that we do, right? So then we made a searching and a fearless moral inventory of ourselves. We faced facts, right? What's going well inside of me and what's not going well? So that's kind of where we, we dropped off last week. And so if you're new, that's okay. We're going to bring you right up to speed today. What might you be struggling with that could be blocking you from living life to the full? When I was in school studying to be a pastor, every year we had to have a field education placement, right? We had to go work in the community, right? Sometimes, one of those, I went and worked in the church. One time I worked in the nonprofit, But one year I worked in a prison. It was a prison up in Massachusetts and uh, a few other students and I would go up each week. We go into this prison uh, and we basically would be locked in a room with prisoners and we got to talk about life and talk about God and all kinds of stuff. And there were people in the room that were gonna be in prison the rest of their lives. Some of them had sold drugs. Some of them had been violent, some of them had murdered people. And so it was a very eye-opening experience. And I learned a lot. Uh, and one thing that I learned that in that prison system, and I think it's true all across America, there was no pretense that there was gonna be any kind of um, transformation, right? There's no program to reform anything like that. All it was was warehousing people. You do something wrong, you're gonna pay for it, you're gonna be locked up. We're not gonna to try to help anyone get any better, right? Anything like that. And so usually what happened in this situation is people just got madder and more bitter. And if they ever got out of jail, they came out worse than they did when they went in, right? It's just a, it's a depressing situation uh, kind of in our lives. Uh, and Father Orr kind of talks about it in this way. He, he calls it an economy of meritocracy, right? Merit, right? You get what you deserve. If you do good in life, then good things happen to you. If you do bad things in life, then you get locked up or you get punished. Things like that, right? Quid pro quo, right? You you, you have consequences for your actions, and it's retributive justice, right? If you mess up, you're gonna have some retribution coming your way, right? So for 99% of the history of our country. In our world, that's the way we operate. That's the way we operate, you know, with children and parents. Like you mess up, you get discipline. We see that in the court system. We see that in prisons. We see that in war. You can look around the world today and, and see that going on, right? So that's kind of what's going on. But Father Rohr also talks about a, a different economy. By economy, I just mean a system here. And, and this is the economy of grace, this is where we see Jesus at work. This is where we see the twelve steps at work, right? Instead of you get what you deserve, you get what you don't deserve. You get good things that happen to you even when you don't deserve it, right? Grace is unmerited favor. We get the favor of God when we don't deserve it, and this is a restorative justice, right? We want to restore the relationship. We want to be restored in the image of God that we were created. And so it's much different than the first system that I showed you. In in the economy of grace and restorative justice, we believe that when we mess up, it's an opportunity for us to be transformed, to be transformed into the people that God created us to be. And a part of this whole system of economy of grace and restorative justice, we're going to find in Scripture. I want to. I want to jump into a couple of passages of Scripture. We can go first uh, with the Book of Psalms, right? Uh, yeah, let's go back to that. All right. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, Lord. Right, can you go back to the other slide, Grayson? I think it should say Genesis. Is that it? All right. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Sorry, we got these verses reversed. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So this is King David, right? About a thousand years before Jesus is born and He's coming clean to God. He's messed up in a big way. And he's like, God, I just, I'm feeling bad about this. I've got to get it out of my system, right? So as we think about receiving God's grace, we think about receiving God's forgiveness. We have to be honest with ourselves and we have to be honest with God. We need to confess things to God and and it helps us get it off of our chest, right? We can't heal what we don't acknowledge, right? We can't heal what we don't acknowledge. If we don't transform our pain, we will transfer our pain. If we don't take care of the pain inside of us, we're gonna take it out on someone else. It's gonna be someone in our family. It's gonna be someone in work. It's gonna be someone that we're driving next to and we just go all road rage on, right? If we don't transform our pain, we will transfer our pain. And to do that, we have to begin by being honest, and facing what's going on, right? So confession is a big part of this, confessing what we've done to God, confessing what we've done to ourselves. Now I wanna jump to the New Testament that adds a new wrinkle that maybe we haven't thought about a lot um, because we understand confessing to God, confessing to um, ourselves. This is what James has to teach us in James five, right? Therefore confess your sins to each other. Wait a second, I didn't sign up for that now. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let's leave this up for a second. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed, right? We don't have to confess our sins to each other to be forgiven by God, right? That's between us and that's between God. But God says that he's given us another opportunity to find healing in our lives, that there's something powerful about confessing to someone that we love and trust the dirt that we're carrying around inside of us, right? So it's helpful to confess to God, it's helpful to confess to ourselves, but it's also helpful to confess to a friend or to a spouse or to a a significant other to say, you know what, I'm carrying this burden around about stuff that I've done. And when we release that, that is a gift to us from God and it helps the healing process. Again, it's not required Right? We, gotta, we have to ask God for forgiveness, but it's a gift to us to be able to help process this stuff that's broken inside of us. So what? what's our first point today? It's this. This is step five in the 12-step process. We admit it to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. And I want you to think about that. Right? We admitted to God and to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. As, we are, as we're trying to open ourselves to grace, we have to be honest. Right? And I think the hardest part for us is the new one right? to, to admit to another human being. Right? Maybe just put that in the back of your mind as we think about what we're doing here. Right? So we, we go through this process. Um, when Apartheid was finally wiped out in South Africa, Bishop Desmond Tutu uh, really challenged people in South Africa to stand up and to admit publicly, those who had been involved in apartheid, how they had done that. And this was individuals, this was groups and institutions. And he encouraged people to make a public confession and apology to say, we played a role in this system that hurt so many people. And it wasn't to punish anyone. It was to begin the healing process to say, you know what? I was wrong, I made a mistake to begin the healing process and think about the courage that would take for someone to stand up and to be able to do that, right? So as we think about doing this in our lives, there's a couple of things that we're gonna be bearing, right? Healing comes through bearing and bearing the truth, right? B-A-R-I-N-G, that we reveal it, right? We bear our souls, right? If we wanna find healing, we've gotta get it out of our system. So we bear it, we open ourselves, and then we bear it, right? We carry it together, Right? So we bear our souls, we open it up right, to receive healing. I messed up. This is what I've done. I got to get it out. Right? But then when we confess that to another person, they can help us carry that. They can help us carry that load. Right? It's, it's a powerful thing that we're talking about. Let's keep going with some more scripture today because I know this is hard. I appreciate you guys sticking in with this because this whole series is challenging, right? It's hitting us right in our gut where sometimes we don't wanna look, but it's important for us to be able to do that, right? So in Ezekiel, this Old Testament stuff, the people of Israel have really messed up royally. They've really gone against God and God's gonna show them some of that economy of grace. He's He's gonna give them unmerited favor and forgiveness. God says, you will know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake and not according to your evil ways. Right? You deserve to get blasted, but I'm going to deal with you based on the way that I see things. Right? And your corrupt practices, you people of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. God says, I'm not going to deal with you in a way that the world would think would be just. I'm going to deal with you the way that I do. Right? I'm going to show you grace. I'm gonna show you grace. Let's keep going with some more scripture. This time we're gonna jump to the New Testament where Paul picks up on this in, in an interesting way. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, right? Remember, God gave grace to the people of Israel, right? Here, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, this is not to torture someone. But when you're nice to someone who hurts you, it gets their attention. Like they don't expect that, right? It, it stops them in their tracks. Let me ask you a question. Have, have you ever had someone love you in spite of what you did? Have you ever had someone love you in spite of what you did? You did something wrong, something harmful to someone, and they loved you. How do you react to that, right? It's, like you, it's unexpected, like, wow. Right, it gets our attention. Like, why are they loving me when they should be mad at me and, and punishing me, right? Have you ever had someone love you in spite of what you did? When I was nine years old, I had a good friend. His name was Michael. And I used to look forward to recess every day. We got to go outside, didn't have to study, right? Got to go out and play, get some energy out. And my friend Michael and I, we'd always go out on the playground, we'd play together. And our school, our elementary school was near some woods and the rule was don't go in the woods. What did I do at nine? What did my friend Michael do? We went in the woods and we played and it was fun, right? You just couldn't get caught because if you got caught, you're gonna go to detention. And, right? So we were playing in the woods one day. We kind of lost sight of the teacher. We lost sight of time. And pretty soon everybody's lined up to go back in uh, and the teacher's looking for us and there is no way we're not gonna be seen, right? And so, all right, here we go, here we go. And so we start walking and I stopped and I let Michael walk out and he got busted, right? <laughs> And when she was getting on him, I snuck out and got in the line, right? And he was mad about that, right? I totally dissed my friend. And so he got detention for a week, right? And so when I was outside playing, running around, he's in a classroom writing sentences. You guys know what that is? You just write sentence after sentence after sentence. That was his, that was what he had to do. And I was a little relieved I didn't get caught, but then I felt guilty and I felt bad. I'm like, he's gonna be mad at me. He might not be my friend, right? And so I went home and I'm like, how am I gonna make this up to Michael? And so I got one of my brand new Matchbox cars and I'm gonna give it to him, right? I'm gonna bribe him, right? I'm gonna earn my way back. I'm gonna pay for his love and his forgiveness. And so the next day at school, I saw him, and we were at the lunchroom table and I thought for sure, he's like, I don't wanna have anything to do with you. Like, hey man, I'm just so sorry, I left you hanging and you know, here's your brand new Matchbox car. He's like, don't worry about it, right? We're friends, it's all good. I don't even need the car, right? But he took it. (laughs) so uh, at the age of nine, I was introduced, well, not introduced, but I had a great experience of grace from a friend who should have blasted me. He should have been upset with me, but he forgave me. He he gave me unmerited favor. And I still remember that today, many, many years later. When in your life has someone showed you love when you didn't deserve it. That's what we're talking about today. It's powerful. When we react with love rather than with retribution, it is powerful and it can change the world. We talked about the story of the prodigal son last week where Jesus is telling a story about a a son who asked his father for his inheritance early and his father grants that to him. And then the son goes and he wasted in wild living, partying and spending time with prostitutes and all kinds of things like that. Then he's poor. And he's homeless and he doesn't have anything to eat. And so he's like, at least my dad's servants have it better than me. I'm gonna go home and tell dad I totally blew it. I don't expect to be welcome back in the family. I don't expect to be a son again, but maybe he'll just give me a job. And and so the son goes back and he's like, dad, I'm so sorry, I messed up. And I don't deserve to be your son. I know you probably don't wanna forgive me, but could you just, you know, can I be one of your servants so that I can eat again? And the dad, right, could blast him like, why'd you, you know, throw your money away, the inheritance, like, you know. But the dad throws him a party and he runs to meet him and he cries and he hugs him. He says, son, I love you. I'm so glad that you're back, right? It's this economy of grace. It's not what the son deserved, but it was unmerited favor that the father gave to him. And if you know the rest of the story, the, the son had a brother who did everything right. He followed his father's instructions. He did everything right, and and he gets mad. He's like, why are you welcoming him back? I do everything right. You've never thrown me a party, right? He goes out, blows his inheritance, right? He comes back, and you give him a party, right? It's that economy of, of meritocracy, right? He doesn't deserve this. He should get what he has coming to him. And the father's like, I love you both and I've given you everything that you've ever wanted, everything that you need, it's okay for me to be able to do this to my son. Do you see how the different ways of thinking go about? It's powerful when we get into this concept of, of, of grace and unmerited favor. Here's a really cool quote that I like from Richard Rohr. God does not love us if we change, if we get better, if we're sorry. God loves us so that we can change. That, that's pretty powerful, right? God does not love us if we change. I will love you, right, if you repent. I will love you if you do the right thing. I love you. Get down on your knees and grovel, right? God loves us so that we can change. Because God loves me, I want to change, right? Because my friend was nice to me when he didn't deserve, when I didn't deserve him to be nice to me, I want to be better for him, right? So God does not love us if we change. God loves us so that we can change. God is merciful. God is graceful and I want to show you a couple of patterns in life right here and this is the one that you know from the the meritocracy kind of things like we mess up we get punished then repentance means we change our way and then we're transformed right that's kind of the way that, that the world approaches um, you know and punishment and threats and guilt they can be efficient right Right? We can control people. If you mess up, you're, you're going to have a consequence. You're going to be disciplined. You're going to be punished. You're going to go to jail. You're going to get sent to your room. Right? We can change their behavior, but it doesn't change their heart, does it? When has guilt or, or punishment ever changed your heart? It's changed your behavior. right? Let's look at the other pattern that God also teaches us. Right? When we mess up, God gives us unconditional love that transforms our hearts. And because our hearts are transformed, we transform our behavior. Do you see the difference in that, right? So we mess up. We receive God's unconditional love that changes our hearts, right? And our hearts are changed. Then we change our behavior. So many times we get it the other way around, right? We control the behavior and the heart never changes. Just like me in that prison, right? We lock them in prison because of what they've done, but we, we don't change their hearts. In fact, we make their hearts worse, right? This is Countercultural. This is radical. This is hard to believe, but that's what Jesus does. He, he shakes things up. Right. A few more points from Richard Rohr that I think are pretty neat here as we think about this. Almost two-thirds of Jesus' teaching is about forgiveness, right? Grace and forgiveness, right? We all need to apologize and to forgive, right? That's a message from the Bible. Only through mutual apology, healing, and forgiveness. Offer a sustainable future. If we don't apologize, if we don't find healing, then we get stuck in the past. We get stuck in the past instead of going forward in the future, right? A couple more on the next one, right? Forgiveness is defined as to let go of our hope for a different or better past. Now think about that for a second. We got to let go, right? We, we can't change what happened in the past. I wish it had been different. I wish you hadn't have done this. It is what it is, as John Fox used to say for the Panthers here, right? Forgiveness is to let go of our hope for a different or better past, right? We just have to let go of that, right? Nothing new happens without apology and forgiveness. And those of us who've been forgiven have been freed from that hurt inside of us, right? We are the best ones prepared to unbind the rest of the world. Once you've been forgiven right once you've received grace then it's easier for us for you to go out and to do that for other people okay so what next point is this right we were entirely ready to have god remove all of the defects of our character okay so as we think about forgiving other people we also have to look inside of ourselves to figure out okay what's broken in us and god we need your help to do to get rid of this, right? What, what are the defects in our character? God, you've got to help me, right? So it's kind of like the chicken and egg thing here, right? Do we surrender to God first or do we take responsibility for our actions first, right? Do we surrender to God first or do we take responsibility for our actions first? Is it, is it a linear thing, right? Richard Rohr kind of blows my mind. He says, it's kind of both, right? I got something here, this is a proverb. Um, it's not from the Bible. Uh, Pastor, Action, know you're going to like this because you guys got some good proverbs in Haiti. This is kind of for you, my bud, right? No one catches a wild donkey by running after it, yet only those who run after the wild donkey catch it, right? You see, that's a paradox, right? No one catches a wild donkey after running after it, right? But you only catch it if you run after it, right? Do we take responsibility for ourselves and our actions first or do we surrender to God First pastor Rohr says we do both right we, we kind of we're into paradoxes in, in in christianity right we believe in god who's fully human and at the same time god's fully divine right we believe in mary who is a virgin and also a mother right so we're responsible right to to bear responsibility but also to surrender to god and we see it in scripture look at this This is from Paul, who's writing both these passages, and they seem actually actually the opposite. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's a high responsibility. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You've got to take responsibility for your relationship with God, take responsibility for your sin, take responsibility right? Then he also says later in another letter to a different church, and if by grace, right, unmerited favor, then it cannot be based on our works. It can't be based on our actions. It can't be based on our taking responsibility because grace would no longer be grace, right? If we're in charge, then it can't be a gift to us, right? So there's an element of taking responsibility, and there's also an element of surrendering to God. Let me ask you the question. Are you more comfortable with? taking action or waiting for something to happen, Pastor Rohr says we gotta be comfortable with both, right? Are you more comfortable taking action or more comfortable waiting for something, right? God, fix me. Or God, I messed up and I need your help, right? We kinda gotta do both in this. Ultimately though, this is where we go. Let it be done to me. When the angel appeared to Mary, would you be the mother of Jesus? Let it be done to me, yes. Jesus, will you carry the cross? Jesus says, I don't really want to, but let your will be done to me, Ultimately, we have to say, Lord, I am responsible for this, right? Lord, I need your forgiveness. I can't save myself. Let it be done to me. So I wanna show you two quotes, maybe encourage you to take a picture of this. And I want you to wrestle with these things because this is like, it gives me a mental headache, but it's a really good thing to do, okay? We must pray as if it all depends on us and work as if it all depends on God. I can't explain that to you. You're just gonna have to wrestle with that, right? We've been talking about that. We must pray as if it all depends on us and work as if it all depends on God. This is deep stuff. This is what I want you to wrestle with. That's what Lent is about. It's wrestling with deep things that push us out of our comfort zones and make us think and spend time with God, right? One more I want you to think and pray about. Maybe take a picture of this. God is humble and never comes if not first invited, but God will find some clever way to get invited. That's what I love about God. God is humble and never comes if not first invited, right? We have to take responsibility. But God will find some clever way to get invited. God's going to get into our lives, right? We call this prevenient grace, God working in our lives before we know it, right? So what does this mean practically for us? Here's Here's just a recap of what we talked about today, right? We admit to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. We have to confess, Otherwise, it's going to eat us up, and it's going to take the form of an addiction, and we're going to, if we don't transform our pain, we're going to transfer our pain, usually to someone that's close to us and someone that we love. We got to get this stuff out of our systems, right? And we were entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. I can't do it on my own. I, I, I accept responsibility, but God, I need your help. Only you can take this out of me, only you can give me the strength to do what I need to do, right, so this week I invite you to consider to do a few things, this is going to be kind of heavy on the responsibility side of things, one, admit your wrongs to God and yourself, right, admit your wrong to God and yourself, what is it, what's broken, what, what's not right, right, admit it to God and admit it to yourself, okay, right, this is the new one, this is the hard one, Identify someone in your life who can be a friend and ask them if they're willing to talk with you about these issues, Is there someone in your life that can help you bear the burden that you're bearing, right? We talked about the two types of bearing. Is there someone in your life that you can trust with the junk that's going on inside of you? And you gotta be real careful about who this is. Is someone that loves you and trusts you and is not gonna send this out on Twitter or start gossiping about you, This is a big step. Right. So I like what he says. Identify someone in your life, right, who might be willing to talk with you. Right. I'm grateful to have people like this in my life, my wife, some of my best friends, where I can bear my soul. They don't judge me, but they help me wrestle with the weight of things that I've done in my life. Right. I bear that to God, right? Absolutely. Only God can forgive. But it helps not to go through life alone. I promise you that. Right. Let's go back to that grace and we have one more thing. Right? And then we have a companion journal, chapters five and six. If you don't have one of those, you can get one downstairs today. Uh, Pastor Rohr asked some really good questions. Some of the stuff that we had up here you can wrestle with uh, and encourage you to do that. So some practical steps that you can take today to battle some of this junk inside of us that, that kind of holds us back. One of the guys that I met in prison, he was probably in his 60s, had been in prison his whole life I was in my early 20s, so at that point in my life, I thought he was an old guy. He's not an old guy now that I'm older. (laughs) Been in prison most of his whole life. Can you imagine? And he said, if I'm ever paroled, I'm probably going to commit another crime so that I can come back here because this is all that I know. That is heartbreaking. If I ever get out, I'm probably going to commit a crime so that I can come back here because this is is the only life that I know. I wonder if some of us feel like we're in prison. The things that haunt us in our hearts, the things that we've done wrong, the guilt and the shame that we carry around, that we feel trapped, that we feel trapped. And if we could ever find a way out, if, if someone was kind to us, if someone forgave us, that we wouldn't know how to handle that. And we go and we do something else and we get right back trapped in our prison. Do you feel trapped in a prison of your heart? Do you feel trapped that you're a prisoner to an addiction or something in your life that's broken and has not been transformed and is painful and you just feel like you're never going to get out? The good news today is that Jesus says, I'm ready to help you break out and stay out. I'm ready to help you break out and stay out. And and you know what? You don't deserve it, but I love you anyway. And I wanna help you become the person that I created you to be. I can take what you have and I can crush that. And I've given you people in your life that can help you carry that burden and bring it to me and release it to me. And you can find freedom in your hearts. That's what we're talking about today. Jesus doesn't love us if we change. Jesus loves us so that we can change. No one is trapped in the prison of the personal hell that we live in. No one is trapped with the addictions that we wrestle with. No one is trapped with sin and guilt and punishment. And guess what, right? For those of us who love the meritocracy kind of thing, someone needs to pay for what we've done. Jesus did that on a cross. He died on a cross. He took our sin and our guilt and our shame and he paid the price so that we can be forgiven and receive unmerited favor. We can find joy and peace and life to the full even if we don't deserve it. That's the good news today, brothers and sisters. You do not have to be trapped. Jesus doesn't love us if we change. Jesus loves us so that we can change. Let Jesus change you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.